thank you for your prayers. I had a feeling that when I knew I was going to be speaking today in the, the slow progression of my back recovery, that I was going to need that stool from the get-go. But your prayers have been answered. I am feeling much better, so thank you for them. One more bit of information. Uh, if Only about half of you opened up the Friday email, so there's, no matter what we draw attention to, whether it's on the bumper or whatever, some of you don't hear certain things. Now, if you volunteer for anything, and the qualification is, if we ain't paying you, you're a volunteer. Okay? If you do anything on this campus ever throughout the year, not just some of the more identifiable things like deacon and elder and stuff like No, I'm talking about everything. The welcome, the worship team, set up, all of it. We're going to celebrate you in a, for an appreciation on the 16th. So that's a couple of weeks from now, the week after Easter, and please mark your calendar, plan to have, it. we're gonna have burgers, hot dogs, stuff, and bring the kids, it's, it's celebrating you, because there's no ministry happening around here without you guys, or very little. So this morning is Palm Sunday, and we're drawing your attention in that last song, I mean, really captures it. We're gonna speak this morning about God's glory and its centricity in prayer. And, and there is nothing, we're doing nothing without the blood of Jesus applied. So this Passion Week, we're not going to be speaking from the Passion Week or Palm Sunday. We're just doing what we do, which is we're getting close to it. We're probably three weeks away, but we're just continuing to move our way. And before I forget, no, it is spring break. It coincides with Passion Week this year, and that means no one is on Wednesday, no Refuge on Wednesday, no K-Group on Wednesday, and I have no idea what the Sunday groups are doing. So check with your K-Group leader as to whether or not you are doing that, and by the way, if you see Jeremy today, wish him a happy birthday. Prayer. This morning we conclude our look at Jesus' lengthy prayer in chapter 17. His high priestly prayer is what it is called in many of your Bibles. And it struck me as I began preparing for this morning that prayer is another one of those church words like sin. It has very little meaning outside of church. In fact, I actually think that prayer might be the most misunderstood of all all Christian fundamentals. And John is the only gospel writer to record this extensive prayer for us. And one of the reasons why I believe he did have John write it out was for his followers to see how prayer could be. See, John wrote his gospel some decade or two after the synoptics had been in, so he had seen the model prayer he knew what was out there. And yet, from chapters 13 through 17, I mean, if you've got a red-letter Bible, you know that that's an awful lot of red ink, and he's the only one who went into that level of detail. So of the earthly things that Jesus modeled for us while he walked the earth, prayer was the most conspicuous, and yet, for most of us, prayer is more caught than taught. As John pointed out last week, Jesus prayed differently than most of us. It doesn't have to be that way, just tends to be. And his entire prayer includes every one of the essentials we would need to do proper discipleship when it comes to prayer. I'm convinced many of us give, us, 
gives ourselves a pass when we see how extensively Jesus prayed. I mean, let's face it. None of us are the only begotten Son of God, right? They had a unique relationship that spanned from ever. There's no such thing as eternity past. It's always now. They have always been. And so, accordingly, since we're not that, we sort of look what Jesus is doing. Ah, that can't be for us. I mean, praying all the time? That can't possibly be for us. Could it? Seems to me if we adopt that position, it's a bit of a cop-out. Because if you've been in church any length of time whatsoever, you've heard of a thing called sanctification. What is it? It's God doing his work in our life to do what? To conform us to be more like Jesus. What could be more like Jesus than praying to his Father? Turns out quite a lot. Chapter 17 is this beautiful example of how we could pray. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the Lord's Prayer. I think as prayers go, I refer to, I'm a technologist in my former life, it's Prayer 101. 1.1, 1.0, pick your quick. I know that whenever we wrote anything, we, got, we had to get it to the market, right? 1.0 is, is you just want to get people to think about what you've got. Jesus put the model prayer out in front of people. And then chapter 17, prayer 2.0. By the time we're done this morning, it's my hope that you will see true biblical prayer as little more than an ongoing conversation with your heavenly father because that's the way Jesus prayed. Let's pray and get on with it. Father, thank you. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us th this week, a couple of thousand years ago, which if you hadn't done that, well, there'd be no point in us being here right now. Pray, Lord, that you would help the hearers and that you would use me in a way to convey how we may have an opportunity to expand our prayer life in what you model for us in chapter 17. So I pray, Lord, that you would do that. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 20, chapter 17. I pray not only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one, I in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one, so the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Gosh, that's beautiful. He starts right out in the opening phrase. He was out, he had finished completely. He's prayed for himself. He's prayed for the 11 around him. And then he concludes every believer since Pentecost that would believe through their message. Obviously, that includes you and me if you're a believer. Jesus is keenly aware of what is about to happen. I mean, he, the horrors of the next 24 or so hours of his life are pretty hard to really imagine. I mean, 
seriously. And what was he doing here? Praying. He was praying with his father where? In front of his disciples. That's what he was doing, full well knowing the next day of his life was going to be a horror. So what has Jesus been modeling throughout this entire prayer? Well, simply this. We just sung about it, right? And it's primarily about God's glory. Prayer is primarily about God's glory and his will, or his desires, if you will. I couldn't find it. I, I, I think it was Henry Blackaby who once said, prayer is about aligning our desires, our will, with God's purposes. Let me say that again, because that ain't the way most of us pray, to be honest. Prayer is about aligning our desires and will with God's purposes. In this entire prayer, Jesus is praying for alignment. Starting first with himself, then with his immediate followers, and now with us. And by the way, the immediate followers are believers. They're not necessarily his flesh and blood kin. Starting there... He is, knows that the message that his 11 will be carrying are going to, it's going to take off after this. And these men that he personally trained were about to themselves, they were going to face massive resistance to the message, God's truth about Jesus. And Jesus prayed that they would be strengthened in their resolve regardless of how it seems things are going. I'll come back to that. Jesus repeats several points he made earlier in the prayer and throughout the Gospel of John. The, the importance of unifying godly love and his eternal existence with the Father. I doubt that you missed it, right? May they, be, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may, what, believe you sent me. The unifying godly love we have here between Jesus and his Father is not some afterlife proposition, right? This is not some cosmic, mystical alliance between Jesus and his Father. Jesus is not hoping there might be a God of good intentions out there. Jesus is pr he prayed and lived every single day to align the life he was living in front of the disciples with his Father in every way possible, thereby ensuring what? that his father would be glorified. I mean, that's really the essence of it. Don't miss this. Jesus prayed about his unity with the Father and the Spirit, but they were forever unified. He was saying this out loud in front of the people immediately around him. Unified with them, why? Not that they might be unified or should be unified. We are unified. And God sent him so that, look with me again in verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and that you've loved them the same way you love me. For God's glory, God's purposes. Verse 24, Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. 
However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known so the love that you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Some have misunderstood what Jesus was asking for here in verse 24. He is not asking for his disciples to be taken out of the world right then and there. He's just not. Going back to the whole unity thing, this is about longing for when we'll all be together with him in heaven and seeing his glorious self. This strikes me somewhat like when a parent knows that there are difficult days coming ahead or something difficult and announcing what might await on the other side, right? Yard work, trying to get the kids to do yard work, a trip to an unpleasant relative, whatever yucky thing you can think of, fill in a blank right there, there isn't one of you in the room who hasn't done something like this. Then we'll go get ice cream. <laughs> okay? Because there are just some difficult things. This isn't exactly that, of course, because it, it, but it's close enough for you to understand that Jesus is aware that his disciples and us as well have, a, have struggles in our daily life. And accordingly, the, his prayer is banking on God's promises. And one of those promises is that we will be with him in heaven one day with all glorified, all yippy-skippy, it'll be great. Ice cream. To be in God is an eternal promise. For Jesus, in his flesh, he's just recalling their eternal unity. That's that line, that phrase, before the world's foundation, before anything was created. For us, that unity is from the moment of your salvation for the rest of eternity. See, we get a starting point, and we have to make a choice. Why? So that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them in a forever love. It's a beautiful concept. About a year or so ago, John Piper had a devotional on verse 24, and I think it bears um, bringing some light to this morning. It, it, it addresses the significance of this forever love proposition once we have bowed the knee and surrendered to Christ. He says, he makes the case that verse 24 holds an actual secret for protecting our joy from the dual threats of suffering or, and or success. It's an interesting combination, I think. Starting with what Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you, revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Why? On account of him. Then in Luke, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are where? Written in heaven. God's forever love means enjoying the, it sharing in the glory that Jesus Christ has now. Not what, based on what does or doesn't happen to you, or how your career is going, or whether your spouse is 
or kids are doing what you want or not doing what you want. It's not any of that. God's forever love comes with a unity with the Trinity to get us into a position of recognizing his glory and our joy in his glory. You see, I don't think much of us pay much of a mind to that. The, the connection between our joy and God's glory. I think we hear it, we, hear, we do the word thing, but I don't know that we necessarily make the, con the connection in an impactful way. We don't hear this enough. The secret to enduring joy is identifying with God's heavenly glory. Look at verse 22. Jesus extended his glory to us, and then in verse 24, why? That we would see it? Let's see if I can tie this together. Back in 1968, there was one of those memorable one-hit wonders. Well, you know, I was 15, but, you know, <laughs> that was a long time ago. You've got to be over 55 to, have know, to know what this is, Right? Maybe some of you will recall it, and I don't know. We've had a couple of technical difficulties. Are we going to have it, Mitch? Bend me, shape me, any way you want me, long as you love me, it's all right. This chorus jumped into my head while Jesus was, um, uh, John was preaching a couple of weeks ago on Jesus' prayer in the first five verses of this chapter. And I, I could remember the chorus, but I couldn't remember any of the rest of it. So when, when I got home, I Googled it. And predictably, the first verse is about a woman. Okay, it's the 60s. Go figure. So... There's an interesting phenomenon. I kept reading. And if you discard the first verse, you have this rock-solid, theologically accurate lyric capturing an awful lot of chapter 17. I, know, I can look and see the skepticism. Okay? Fine. Look with me. Everybody tells me I'm wrong to want you so badly, but there's a force driving me on. I follow it gladly. So let them laugh. I don't care because I got nothing to hide. All I want is you by my side. That's a pretty nice hook. I don't know. You know, for prayer life, that pretty much boils down to what? Bend me, shape me, Anyway, what? I want? Anyway, you want. Why would I submit to that? Long as you love me, it's all right. That's not irreverent. If we're honest, most of us don't pray this way. Which all reminds me of a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 that I'll tell you I wrestled with from the moment I read it. I wrestled with it for years. And if you haven't wrestled with it, God bless you. Because 
Verse 17 is the second shortest verse in the Bible. Pray constantly. How you doing with that? Good. I sure struggle with it. But look at what verse 18, Paul didn't leave us hanging. Verse 18 tells us how you go about doing that. By giving thanks in what? Everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, I don't know how you go about your Bible study. I know for me sometimes it's helpful to flip a, a verse or a couple of few verses around and look at them from the completed side backwards. And if you go at the end of verse 18, you see that what's God's will for me? If I'm in Christ Jesus, it's to give thanks in everything, right? Not some of the things, not just the fun things, not the awesome things, everything. How do you do that? Exactly how J Jesus did it. Verse 17, praying constantly. Beginning to see it now? Jesus' prayer was simply a reflection of his heart. You know, Sean mentioned that, you know, in, in our foundations class this morning, that we're to be a reflection of God's grace. It's not the only thing we're to be a reflection of, but it's a great place to start. If your heart was going to be reflected, what would it look like? While he was here on earth, Jesus could easily have sung the chorus to our one-hit wonder. Could he not? It's exactly the way he prayed. It's bang-on theology. Jesus could have sung, easily sung, bend me, shape me, any way you want me. That is how he prayed. That is the summation of chapter 17. Do you want, you know, do whatever you want with me, bend my life, shape my mind. As long as you love me, that's all fine. Is this radical to you? Maybe. You shouldn't be. Probably how most of, it's probably not how most of us are praying. I'll, I'll go out on that limb and say, that's not it. But it could be. Maybe it should be. Maybe it should be. Hopefully, I hope that that little ditty, some of you will go ahead and Google it. I hope it's banging around in your head for the next week. Because what we need, because, hey, I live in the real world most of you are going to forget 98% of everything I ever say, ever. Okay? But those songs, they stick. And if it can help you pray in a more active, connected way to the Father, then so be it. Head, heart, hands. Not that favorite thing for everybody, but we're going to do it anyway. Reverse the order. Hands first. Do all that you do for God's glory. All of it. I know, sounds crazy radical, but yet there it is. That's what Jesus modeled. Singing, bend me, shape me, from what? Joyful heart. Regardless of success or struggle. Meaning it. 
so that your head understands that to pray without ceasing, ceasing is to be intentionally aware at all times. Prayer without ceasing is an ongoing conversation, like I said in my opening remarks. It's nothing. There's nothing mystical about prayer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it, whether or not you, when you first started pe hearing people pray, and they was, King James was everywhere, and it was thee and thou and this and that, and, and it sounded all sort of like, wow, pff, that's not the way we talk. And you got this notion that somehow or another, Prayer was, well, to some of us, for me, it was weird. That's not the way we talk. But then you see that what Jesus and John saw it, this is 50 years or so after Jesus actually prayed this, and the Holy Spirit brought it to his mind so that the synopsis would have the Gospel of John and prayer 2.0 for you to consider that Jesus' ongoing concern was for the, his father and all of his disciples to hear him and see him bending and shaping to exactly what the father would do in and through them to what? Glorify himself. This is about God's glory, not our glory. Your prayers are not about you. Your prayers are about the immediate people. Sure, it's okay. Jesus prayed for himself. Five, five verses out of the 26, 20%. 15% rather. What is it? I don't know. 15, 20, something like that. He was praying for himself some, but then 55% of his prayer was for who? The people immediately around him. And then the remainder was for all the people, us, you and I, who were going to come in contact with a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's what we were asking to be bended to and shaped to. If you really, really believe that, then why aren't you living it? Why aren't you praying it? talking to myself like I'm talking to you. We could do better. My Angelo, I say this to the kids in chapel all the time, when you know better, you do better. It's inescapable. For those of us who love the Lord and we're, in, and we're fully engaged in the sanctification process, we want to do and reflect a heart that cares for others more than we care for ourselves. Start with those immediately around you and then work your way out from there. If you believe it, live it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this prayer in John 17. Thank you for the care that you had for us that ultimately cost your life in the next day or so of Jesus' life. And that it wasn't necessarily, it didn't have to be our life. In your mercy and grace, you... You allow us to continue to live. So thank you for that. And I, I pray for this, this particular Holy Week that in the midst of spring break, we will find time to spend time with you asking that you bend us and shape us any way you'd like us. For I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.